Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, I'm Mats Wilander. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> And welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport, brought to you from our spiritual home of the Putney Exchange. And uh, I'm not going to faff around with the intro this week because there is so much meaty news to get through from the tennis world this week. Regrettably, not all of it is positive, uh, but we will be covering uh, all of it good and bad because that's what we're here to do on the Tennis Podcast, isn't it, David Law? Yeah, it is. Let's get on with it. <laughs> right then. So in case you hadn't noticed, the Fed Cup was happening uh, this week. Uh, I'll just run you through the results from the semifinals because uh, actual tennis was played. And then we'll, we'll get on to the meaty Nastasi-based drama, which I'm sure most of you have heard about. We will be running through all, all the facts of that as well for any of you that aren't up to speed with it all. But first and foremost, we should probably give some credit to the United States and to Belarus, who will meet in the final, because they got there despite my predictions that neither of them would. Yeah, um, but very good point to bring up immediately is that, that I did uh, actually predict that the United States would beat the Czech Republic. Uh, and so, Catherine? None of us thought the Belarus were going to beat Switzerland, though. First things first, though. <laughs> Um, I did get that right, didn't I? Yes, you did. Excellent. You did. Yeah, no, I great. feel a fool. 3-2 for United States. Brilliant performances from Coco Vandewey. She won all three of the rubbers she played in. Um, could be a good kickstart for her, couldn't it? Because she's could, waned a bit indeed. since the Australian Open. Yeah, we know it's there. Uh, Belarus, great to see Victoria Azarenka there in a supporting capacity. And she may be back she for could, the final. Well, I think she yeah. intends to be back, which is very interesting. Yeah, sure is. So, yeah, they're going to face in the final. Brilliant. Yes, okay, so <laughs> with that topic covered... That's that. That's that. Now, elsewhere, over the Fed Cup weekend, there were uh, World Group playoff ties happening. One of those was in Constanta, Romania, between Great Britain... Well, between Romania, the home team, and Great Britain. And uh, the stage was set for it to be uh, very intriguing indeed. Simona Halep's hometown, how wonderful for her to have a tie in her hometown. She is... Um, an absolute superstar at home in Romania, and rightly so. And unfortunately, a certain Mr. Ili Nastasi rather uh, dominated and soured proceedings. David and I will talk about all of this in great detail and give you our thoughts, of course. Uh, but we've got the thoughts of some more important people than us, first and foremost. But Who are they? 
we've got Sue Barker. Oh, have we? <laughs> yeah, we have. Oh, yeah, I spoke to her, yeah. Sue Barker, yeah. We've got certain Sue Barker, and uh, we've also got Simon Briggs, who is out in Constanta and sounds so thoroughly exhausted on the chat that you had with him. It's really fascinating, first-hand uh, experience of what it was like in Constanta this weekend. But just uh, before uh, we go into that, I'm just going to give you a rundown of of events as they unfolded over the weekend. So this is actually from uh, the Telegraph website. They've uh, had some really good content, largely because Simon Briggs was out in Constanta. I bet he had a pretty uh, heavy workload over the weekend. So on Thursday, we have Romania captain Ili Nastasi, uh, who asked for the room number of Great Britain counterpart Anne Kjothavong, who was pregnant, uh, which is a mind I mean I don't think that has any bearing personally on the significance of this uh, during the official dinner ahead of the tie then on Friday at a press conference to preview the tie in Constanta Nastasi was heard to say of Serena Williams baby due in the autumn and I apologize uh, for having to repeat this but I think if we're we're going to talk about it in general uh, you probably need to know exactly what was said and he said uh, let's see what color it has in reference to Serena Williams baby chocolate with milk he asked um, and the ITF launched an investigation into those comments uh, immediately. Uh, the 70-year-old again asked for Kyothavong's room number when the pair posed together for photographs during the draw and said, quote, we keep being attracted. Then on Saturday, uh, Nastasi ranted at Press Association tennis correspondent Ellen Crooks. Boy, did she have a tricky weekend. She seemed to bear a lot of the brunt of uh, his anger. He called her stupid repeatedly. I believe he called her worse things as well, which weren't caught on camera because she had reported uh, Nastasi's comments about Serena Williams' pregnancy. He said, the English were out to get him and called me stupid a few... Uh, this is Ellen Crooks' quote saying, he said, the English were out to get him and he called me stupid a few more times. Then... During the match between Johanna Conta and Serana Castella, which Conta was leading in the second rubber, Heather Watson having lost the first rubber, the tie was suspended after Nastasi became embroiled in a row. Apparently started by noise from the crowd, he was reported heard it was he was reportedly heard saying to the umpire, What's your effing problem? Then he appeared to call Giothafong and Conta effing bitches. I apologise again for the language. It brings me no pleasure at all to be saying it. Uh, he was then sent off the court by Thai referee Andreas Egli uh, and after taking a seat in the stands he was then escorted back to the locker room. The match was interrupted. Johanna Conta was uh, in tears, very, very upset. The match was restarted. She won five games in a row, won the tie. GB lost the tie over all. There is more to the story than that. The plot did thicken but I think before we hear any of that, we should perhaps hear from a certain Sue Barker, former GB Fed Cup player. Here is what Sue had to say about the whole debacle. Just totally shocked. Um, I just sort of came in and saw it on the news and I thought, no, this can't be right. You know, I, I, I just cannot believe today that, that we are um, having, having to deal with this, you know, that... Um, Players, it's such a different game now to how it was decades ago when there were very rowdy um, crowds. There was cheating. There's all sorts going on, and you know the game has just come such a long way. And just huge respect between players. When you look at the the top players, you know, particularly on the men's side, when you look at the camaraderie and the respect they have for each other, um, to actually be dealing with. Um, such a great player, you know, as uh, Illy, to be behaving like that on a tennis court. I, I never thought I, I would 
see that happen. And I'm absolutely shocked. And I hope that when he sits down and thinks about, you know, what he said and what he's done over a number of days that, you know, he, he will apologize and, 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 and see that, you know, what happened was wrong. I, I understand he's out there in the heat of the battle. He was an incredibly passionate Davis Cup player. And I know emotions run high when you're representing your country and, and playing for your country. And, 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 and he was one of the best of that. He and Tyriac back in the day were just, you know, they were immense Davis Cup uh, figures. And he's a huge hero in Romania. But to, to let it get so out of hand and the language that he used to Anne and to Joe is, well, it's, it is totally unforgivable. Yeah, I mean, there are certain things, Sue, that you just don't do, aren't mm. there? And, yeah. and, and yeah. There, there, there can be no excuse for that, can there? No. No, not at all. And uh, you know, I, I just can't understand his his thinking, you know, maybe with the crowd uh, that were getting so fired up and, and he's you know so revered over there that he, he wanted to do such a good job because I know that um, Smyrna Hallett was the player who specifically asked Illy to bring his passion and for, for, for you know for his country to, to come and you know captain the team and uh, you know I, w- I was shocked at that anyway but to go out there and behave like that um, it's uh, I, I never thought I would see it happen it's totally unacceptable and uh, yeah I, I just I, I wonder how the authorities are going to uh, deal with him because you know you need to send out a very strong message that you know this this cannot uh, you know, just will not be uh, tolerated, is unacceptable. So that's Sue Barker, who um, doesn't mince her words. I don't think really any right-thinking person can really mince their words about uh, the way Ili Nastasi behaved over the weekend. Of course, he was a fantastic tennis player. He deserves admiration for all his achievements in this sport, but you have to be able to set those achievements apart from his behaviour and his character. David and I will talk about that behaviour in just a few moments, but I think we should perhaps hear David from Simon Briggs, who was out in Constanta. You will hear in Simon's voice just how exhausted he is. He sounds like he's been hit by a train because as he explains, they, the British press pack, I think there were three or four of them out there, went out to Constanta expecting um, an entertaining weekend, expecting maybe hoping that GB would win through to the, the world group for the first time in uh, 30-ish years. But instead what happened took him completely by surprise. Here's Simon Briggs. The first day seemed uh, quite a shock when I say the first day I guess I'm talking about the Friday the, the draw ceremony and from there wow it just escalated until we were hearing that it was on the news bulletins um, high at home and the Fed Cup has not necessarily been used to that kind of attention so wow we were right in the middle of it all of a sudden having equated it to be quite a low-key weekend um, and it got quite personal obviously Another one of my colleagues here was Eleanor Crooks, the press association reporter, who uh, Nastasi confronted uh, early on Saturday morning. Uh, I then saw him after he'd been called off the court and asked him what had happened, and he got pretty personal with me too, before taking a second bite at uh, Eleanor as he was hustled into a car. So um, we... 
weren't expecting that to happen. I, I turned up in um, Constanza with Nostalgia's autobiography and a plan to write a kind of what I think would be a colourful column about his colourful life. So I wasn't expecting to uh, bury him. In fact, I'd probably come to praise him, but that didn't seem possible after the first day. No, and I think a lot of people, certainly I, have seen the video that Eleanor posted of the things that he said to her, and it sounds as though he said a couple of things that we didn't see on that video that were, frankly, even worse. And he said a couple of things to Ankiothavanga Johanna Konta as well on the court. I mean, it's it's so shocking because we don't see that sort of thing on the tennis court very often. I mean, I, I can't remember seeing in the last... 10 years or so, anything like that. And did you feel at any point threatened in the environment uh, that, that was created? Uh, did, did Are you aware of, of anybody else feeling threatened in that regard? Yeah, I think we all felt a little bit on edge once the uh, big eruption had happened. And uh, also there were people in Romania who felt that we were responsible. In fact, uh, Irina Camelia Begu um, mentioned that the journalists were... I don't quite, quite remember the phrase she used. It's something like um, always putting the negative on everything. Um, and she was sort of clearly looking at us as the origin of the trouble. I think it's true that if we hadn't been there, then probably Nassazi wouldn't have been pulled up for the things he said at the drill ceremony. If he had, and if he hadn't been put in that situation where he was already under investigation by the International Tennis Federation, then he might not have been quite as close to the precipice on the first day's play uh, as he was. So perhaps we were participants in the story as much as uh, observers, which is not the intention, really. Um, But then um, the theory of relativity does say that you can't observe anything without changing it to some extent, and maybe that's what we did. Seeing the the reaction of of Johanna Conta, particularly on the court and the things that were said afterwards, it looked like it had a pretty pretty significant effect on her, a pretty negative effect. I mean, she was in tears on the court. She looked really, really shaken by it all. What what was your impression from, from having been up close? Well, yes, and then you've got to remember there was a second wave of upset that was caused by the Romanian reaction, which was to say that she'd exaggerated the whole thing and had been essentially manipulating the, system, the situation to allow herself to go off the court at 3-1 in the second set. And this was said by Estero on the Saturday. It was then said by Begu today. And Hallett effectively made the same point without being quite as clear. The Romanians actually united in, in a sense of grievance. So the remarkable thing, as I wrote in after tomorrow is that both teams came away from Saturday feeling hard done by and both teams were then probably motivated by it but it was the Romanians ultimately who were the stronger and, and allowed it to, to, to push themselves to a sporting contest for the final day but in Conta's case we're looking at somebody who she's learned to deal with the, the extreme tension of being a professional tennis player over the years but we've seen before that her um, emotions are bubbling away quite close to the surface and they have over, boiled over a couple of times in, in tournament play when it hasn't been anything like as feisty as it was in Romania this weekend. So on this occasion, she really did find it very difficult to cope with and one question which she wasn't able to answer today was how this will 
leave her feeling about committing to the Fed Cup in the future. And it would be a pretty disastrous outcome for British tennis in general if it put her off being a regular team tennis participant. What were your thoughts and, and what do you feel is the general feeling of of the ITF and British tennis and Kyothalong and so forth? What, what do you think it, people believe needs to be done about Elena Stasi from here? What, what do you think? Well, I think um, Pam Shriver put it pretty well, actually, this morning on, on Sports Week. I listened to her interview um, with Jonathan Ledyard and she said that... Uh, the time has come when he, he really mustn't be a coach, particularly a coach of a women's team. Um, he doesn't show enough respect for women uh, and it's just not appropriate for him to behave in this way. And there was a regular theme throughout the weekend that we were dealing with different cultural expectations and uh, a lot of people who were working in the Romanian media, especially the Romanian players, felt that he might have said things that were jokes for instance, the remark about the likely colour of Serena Williams' unborn baby, uh, but that they weren't offensive. And I, I suppose that there is a different expectation, maybe where what we what we might might be used to in the UK. Maybe political correctness has, has narrowed the debate a little in that sense. In, in any case, there was definitely a disconnect about how people saw him, and he still uh, did have the support of his players even until the end of the tie so from here simon you are going where are you stuttgart bound yeah i'm in a cab which may be uh, audible on this uh, probably quite uh, crackly interview <laughs> um on the way to an airport hotel in bucharest for a 7 30 flight tomorrow uh to try and get to stuttgart for the next big story of uh Maria Sharapova's return. And uh, just just put it into perspective for us, how big a story is that? It, how, how much interest do you think that there is going to be, say, from a British standpoint, internationally? How, how many of your colleagues do you expect to be there? Yeah, I think it's pretty much a full house, to be honest, um, except that, that some newspapers were turned away. I, I think the, uh, the Sun were told that they... Um, they were surplus to requirements in um, Stuttgart because they already had uh, four British newspapers on their on their roll call. So suddenly, the Times, the Mail, the Independent, I think, will be represented. Uh, I'm going to be there, and we're looking forward to seeing how it progresses. It, one of those where you don't quite know when to book your return flight for. I've gone for Friday as a uh, rough guess, and I may have to revise it to go earlier or later, depending on how Maria gets on. And I suppose there'll be and a whole. Course, there'll yeah, be Johanna concert too. Yeah, I say, she'll be there. Yeah, goodness me, of course. Yeah, that's her next uh, port of call because she's taken a wild card, hasn't she? And you, I, I imagine that the first couple of days are going to be well. Really, it is just a story about one player, this tournament internationally. Obviously, there are other stories there, but but that's how big this is, isn't it? I mean, the first two days, even when she's not in the building, that is going to be the, the, the discussion. Yeah, I think maybe uh, we'll be trying to speak to Roberta Vinci about the prospect of uh, playing against Sharapova. I think the main top four seeds are all due to speak on Tuesday. 
obviously not a lot of people have had their say already, so exactly how um, relevant it's good to speak to somebody like Dominika Sibylkova again, which has already made her feeling plain, probably questionable, but uh, certainly it's been such a, an ongoing theme in the media for the last 15 months that you feel that you need to be on the ground there to keep an eye on progress this week and be ready for the match on Wednesday, which it could be an awkward one, actually, if it's a night session to get it in the paper the next day. Yeah, well, I dare say we'll be reading your words, whether they be online on the Telegraph website or in the paper. Um, it's been uh, it's been some week, um, and frankly, not for the greatest of reasons, certainly over this last couple of days. But Simon, travel well, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, David. So there is the exhausted sounding Simon Briggs I don't know about you David but I found that completely fascinating to get his thoughts on the ground he obviously elaborated for us on the timeline that I gave you from the Telegraph website which is the plot thickening to the extent that Elena Stasi actually after being banned from the stadium somehow managed to get on site and head into the VIP area on Sunday I mean the man's goal aside from anything else is truly unbelievable uh, and he also uh, elaborated on the responses from the Romanian players some of the Romanian players which for me though sort of forgivable I un- I understand to a certain extent is a particularly disappointing aspect of the whole thing I'll read you Serana Castea's comments because I think they were Probably the strongest of the lot, but obviously Arena Camelia Begu refusing to shake Heather Watson's hand at the end of the tie is, as in Simon's words, a pretty unedifying way for that tie to end. So Serana Castell, who obviously ended up losing the rubber during which most of the drama unfolded to Johanna Conta, here is what she had to say about all the drama that unfolded on Saturday. She said, I'm not happy. She said, Johanna, tennis speaking-wise, she was better than me today. My problem was, and I still do not understand, why the match was stopped at 2-1. She said, I did not hear what Illy said. I understand you take Illy out. Perfect. Then we play another game. I win it. And then suddenly you started crying and let's go off the court. And then this bit coming up is what I found most difficult to take. She played, she says, I've played all over the world. They called me from gypsy to bitch to a-hole to idiot. They were doing like, and then she mimes throat slitting uh, to me. She said, I never cried and left the court. I stay there and I play. Well, I mean, my response to, to that is, you're obviously some kind of incredible iron woman. Good for you, Saranika Steyer. But you shouldn't have to deal with any of that. If that's all true, and we've got no reason to doubt that it is, you should not be having to deal with any of that on a tennis court. And, uh, yeah, it, the fact that you are um, strong enough to cope with it, good for you, but it is no slight on others that they're perhaps not all of the time. I, I would agree uh, wholeheartedly with with that assessment. I, I think the the fact is... At that stage, Serana Castea and the other Romanian team members, they were battening down the hatches, I think, and they were feeling as though everybody's ganging up, up on them. They felt as though they were being wronged to some degree, and it becomes a siege mentality. And, um, you know, they, you heard them refer to the British team and, and so forth and the British media. They feel like everybody's looking down on them and ganging up on them. She, to elaborate on that she said we're in Romania everyone was so nice we treated you guys so nice I don't feel that it's right that you put all this on us because we're, we're a lower country 
than England. That's what. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's say. she's wrong. Uh, I don't think that that's what was happening at all. Um, I, I do kind of understand why she has reached that conclusion based on the emotion and the feelings that she had. His behaviour was absolutely unforgivable and, and unacceptable, and he has no business being involved in tennis at that level with any sort of team if that's the way he's going to behave. It, it is astonishing to me, and it was even... I was almost amused when I first saw his name on the team sheet as the captain of the Romanian Fed Cup team when I first heard it, probably whatever it was, a few months ago. I genuinely had to do a double take and, and think, well... How is that going to work? Because I, I've spent time with Ilya Stasi in the past on the Champions Tour, and um, you know he, he is completely unguarded in what he says. He's unfiltered, and he and as you saw by the fact that he came back into the, the stadium having been banned, he basically thinks rules don't apply to him, particularly in Romania. I think he feels he can do whatever he wants, and and everybody should be absolutely fine with that. Well, no, it's not, it's not okay. It is not okay to talk to people the way he was talking to people. And it is, it is deeply upsetting that this has happened, um, and I feel terribly sorry for, for the people he aimed that, that abuse at. You know, I, I wanted to chin the guy, to be honest, when, when, I, when I saw it back at the end, and, um, and I think most right-minded people would do. I know that's... That, you know, violence is no solution at all. But it just it made me so angry to to watch. Um, uh, I think the overall handling of it was was inadequate in terms of not defaulting Romania from that rubber. Although by the rules, that was the that was not an option available to the ITF. I, I've spoken today to the ITF's head of communications to ask um, why they weren't defaulted from that rubber based on the verbal abuse that, that, that he gave out. Um, it seems that those sort of rules, the ability to default a, a team from a, a, a rubber is, is only applicable if it's a team member, if it is one of the players who is doing it, or if it's the crowd. That's not good enough in terms of the so rules. The, the only person that is actually immune on the court is the team captain. It would, it would appear so. Now... They need to change that rule immediately, and I'm sure they will. That they, they will realise that this is an instance in which they really needed to have that ability to end the rubber right there um, and make it one-one, go away, come back the next day without Ilya Nastasi anywhere. That is what needed to be able to happen, and it couldn't because the rules don't allow it. Um, I also asked Steve about the, the the one of the question mark. I think a few of us have had and, and and felt as though there wasn't a satisfactory answer to was the fact that as Serana Castell was complaining about, they didn't go off the court at two one. They went off the court at three one. And why was that allowed to happen? Why was the match allowed to be interrupted for twenty minutes, and then Johanna Conta come back out onto the court and win the win her rubber? Why? How does that timeline work? He said in the rules there is an, a, an option for a tournament supervisor, a Fed Cup tie supervisor, at his or her own discretion to judge a situation and to interrupt a match based on what's happening. If he, if he or she feels that the circumstances permit it, that a timeout needs to be taken and, 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 and a delay to a match um, 
imposed than, than that is available. It isn't a cast iron, if this, then that. It's, it's, it's a, a judgment call, ultimately. But there is that ability in the rules for, for a, a, a tournament referee to, to take that measure, and that's what Andreas Hegley did. I actually think it was, a, it was a, a good judgment call. You wouldn't want that match to have been decided by the upset the completely justifiable upset caused by Elina Stasi. And that's, for me, what I feel that that interruption, that break in play allowed to happen. It allowed it, to a certain extent, to, as far as possible under the circumstances, to be about the tennis again. And uh, I, I tweeted it at the time. My respect for Joe Conta, for the way she, she came back out and competed for those final five games, her defiance, uh, I found mind-bending really absolutely mind-bending and uh, that's why I find it particularly upsetting what Serana Castella has had to say about her because Joe Conter is somebody that has perfected the art of bottling up her emotions for for the purposes of her job she keeps a lid on it all we know it's all there we know that the still waters run very very deep but she somehow found a way to be an iron woman on the tennis court and we know that that's not naturally her we know that there's a lot there she's just found this way and I think it will have killed her to have shown that emotion I think that will have been extremely difficult for her to have experienced not just the initial experience of what she had to undergo at the hands of Elena Stasi under the eyes of the world but then the fact that she wasn't able to bottle up her reaction to it I think a that shows just how upsetting it was to be in that position and B that really shows I, I, I really think that would have been incredibly tough for Joe Conta to take so that the way she dealt with it I'm so deeply full of admiration for her and for Anki Othervong whatever she said yeah, I was going to say Joe the same uh, that, there's some good captaincy going on there isn't there because uh, I don't know what Anne said either but, but you can imagine she was able to strike the right note I, I know Anne a little bit through commentating with her she knows how to handle people she is, she is tough and she took a lot on the chin clearly over the course of this weekend and, uh, and she got Johanna Conta between them out there in the, the best frame of mind possible. I, I think probably the rest of the team members as well. They seemed a pretty tight-knit group um, and, uh, and and performed extremely well to, to get that one-all scoreline. I have to say, I mean, I, I can kind of understand Sorana Castella's feeling of well, what's going on here. Um, why is this delay allowed? Well, sorry, that's just the way it is. That, that is in the rules and it is, it is allowable. Um, and, uh, you know, whether you agree with it or not is up to you, but that's in the rules and it is fair. Yeah, and there's a lot of people not quite justifying things, but sort of suggesting there's, there's mitigation for the fact that, you know, emotions are running high, you're competing for your country. I get all of that, and I think that, I think that provides mitigation for Castella's comments and for, for the way the Romanian team sort of battened down the hatches, as you described. I, personally, I don't think that provides any mitigation for Ilya Nastasi, who had several opportunities to, at the very least, show contrition for how he'd behaved, some self-reflection on it being wrong. You know, that timeline of his poor behaviour is four days long. You know, yes, it culminated in... Um, it culminated on Saturday, although he then actually came back on site on Sunday. And he sent, had, sent a bou- bouquet of flowers and, uh, yeah, to Yeah, because as much as which, women hate being called a bitch, more than that, they just love flowers and chocolates. I mean... Uh, yeah. 
uh, yeah, I don't even know where to start with that. Uh, but yeah, he, he had opportunities overnight to go home, you know, after his behaviour had been called into question. And sometimes, I understand this, people don't realise they're in the wrong. People don't realise their position of privilege with being white or male or straight or whatever. And it takes a light to be shone on it for you to think, hang on a second, actually, am I am I in the wrong there? I, I get that, you know, we're not perfect people. And he had the light shone on it. And he, instead of showing any kind of contrition or self-reflection, went completely in the opposite direction and came out fighting for his right to be an objectionable human being. And that's, uh, that's particularly appalling. I... I can, I'm sure list, regular listeners to the tennis podcast can probably guess exactly how I feel about it. I don't even feel like it needs stating. It's not, it's not a debate point. There's no, there's no, this isn't something where we need to hear a range of views. Sometimes there is right and wrong. You know, it's not about sides of the coin. He was wrong. His behaviour was despicable. He deserves to be punished in every way possible but I think more than the punishment he just deserves to be looked upon as an irrelevance in sport you know respect his achievements but now let's just never hear from him again I just don't want to see him or hear from him and perhaps that sounds really strong but just to emphasize my point I'm going to uh, read you the comments of uh, Pam Shriver who was called upon to comment because she was somebody that knew Elena Stasi from back in the day and this is this is a tough listen I mean I found it a tough read so uh, just brace yourself or fast forward if you don't want to feel deeply uncomfortable but uh, Pam Shriver told the BBC yesterday that Nastasi certainly should be banned. She said, it's unacceptable behaviour. It's insulting to so many people, minorities, women, almost humanity. It shows no respect. She then says, I recall that when I was 16, whenever I saw Ili Nastasi, he would ask me the same question, which was, are you still a virgin? And, I, and remember, I'm a teenager and I'm playing the tour and it was a shocking thing. I had never had anybody ask me that before. She then says, OK, he was a known jokester and he did it in a joking way. But when I got older, perhaps 20, and he had asked me for about the 30th time, I said, would you please stop asking me that? She said, this man has, been, has not been respectful for women for a long, long time. Now, we actually had a bit of a debate about this on WhatsApp sort of when we were talking, David, about how to address this issue. And I said that I'm not sure how he behaved in the past is irrelevant. We should look on, upon his behaviour this, this weekend in isolation. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that I was proven wrong on that point because I'm glad we've got to hear that from Pram Shriver. I'm glad that that stuff is coming to light. I think it's a shame that it's only now coming to light because, you know, it shows that not to a man or to a person, but this is an institutionalised situation. And just as a final point, I think, to illustrate it, I just wanted to pick up on the very first thing in that timeline of behaviour from Eni Nastasi. Uh, and probably the thing that in the eyes of sort of the authorities is the least bad of his crimes over the weekend and, and probably something that had it happened in isolation he wouldn't have received any punishment for and that was his asking Anki Othafong for her room number at the uh, pre-Thai dinner and then again in front of media 
um, at the pre-Thai press conference. And there is a video of that, and the crooks tweeted it. And again, very uncomfortable watch, but quite important. And I'd, I've been in precisely the situation that Anki Othafong was in there, more than once, precisely that situation. And it is horrible and deeply uncomfortable. It strips you of your power and agency and sort of self-respect in that situation. And no human being, certainly no woman, the other way around there, no woman, certainly no human being, should ever have to experience that. And it is something that women are experiencing all the time. And it's only when it's caught on camera, like it was, that a light is shone. It reminds me of the Chris Gale incident from last year when he asked a, a reporter out during an interview that happens all the time it's only that he did it on camera camera and people noticed and went hang on this isn't okay lot most female reporters when that story came out said yeah this is happening all the time and that is precisely what i thought when i saw anki othavong in that situation my heart broke for her because she had no option really but to laugh and go on with go along with it but you could see in her eyes how horrible that was in a very, very everyday kind of a way. And that's, yeah, rather than saying like every right-thinking person is how terrible his racial slurs and abusive behaviour on and off the court was over the weekend, which I think almost doesn't need pointing out. I just wanted to make that point. Very important to have made it, and uh, and I couldn't agree more. Um, and I would also just like, as a final point as well, to... to say well done Eleanor Crooks for a fantastic job of shining a light on what has happened over the last two or three days because that was gutsy to do to and and in many ways beyond the call of duty to go and uh, she thought she was going to go and report on tennis matches now obviously things can happen over the course of of any event Um, uh, Simon was detailing that but you know to keep pursuing him and making sure people knew what was happening hats off Absolutely, because it was because of her shining a light on it that she received that abuse from Elena Stasi. It was he was abusing her, I think, largely because she was a woman, uh, but also uh, because she was filming. That was why he focused the abuse on her because she was filming it and she was reporting on it. And uh, yeah, I, I completely echo those thoughts. I think we'll leave the matter there. Uh, you can probably tell I could, I could perhaps talk about it all day, but I don't want to because he doesn't deserve it. And uh, yeah that we should move on to another controversial topic, which is finally, after weeks of talking about it, Stuttgart is upon us and the return of Maria Sharapova is upon upon us. Poor Simon Briggs, if he sounded like he'd just run a marathon at the end of that Fed Cup tie. I don't know how he's going to feel at the end of this week after covering the circus that is Maria Sharapova's return to the Tour. The draw was done on the same day that the Elena Stasi drama was unfolding in Constanta. And it's it's pretty interesting. And it, it's particularly interesting because of factors that have happened away from the tennis court, which I'll bring you up to date within a moment. She has drawn poor, poor Roberta Vinci in round one. You've, you've got to spare a thought for Roberta Vinci, hasn't she? I mean, that's just, regardless of what you think of Maria Sharapova's return, a tough one to take, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it it is, and she's somebody who's not done well at all against Sharapova. I think they've played twice, and she's won about four games in four sets, something like that. Um, 
What I would say, though, is she has played Serena Williams with Serena Williams going for glory at the US Open and the calendar year slam in front of 23,000 people in the world there just to see Serena, and she played the match of her life. So I would not put it past Roberta Vinci to play the match of her life or a fantastic match in that one with all that attention on. I don't know what her views are on, on the Sharapova well, wildcard situation. she's in press in Stuttgart as we record this. Yeah, it'd be interesting <laughs> to, to find that out, uh, whether she'll, be, she'll offer that, I, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, the, the circus has started. Uh, um, Stuart Fraser did, did a very good job of going out to, to Stuttgart and finding where Sharapova has been quietly practicing over the last couple of days. And, uh, and she had a full entourage with she's her. She's doing and, anything quietly uh, at the well, moment. Well, she, she was doing that quietly because she found a little quiet um, uh, practice hall, in, to, tennis club to, to, to go through the motions. And she can't go on site until Wednesday. And then the world's eyes will be on her. We've heard from from Simon about the number of media outlets that are going to be there. There's no hiding away now. It's uh, <laughs> it's the comeback of Sharapova. It is on. It is a comeback of Sharapova. So she will play Roberta, Roberta Vinci in round one. Now let's just assume for a moment, and I agree with David, it's by no means a given. Let's assume she comes through that. She will play the winner of Katarina Makarova and Agnieszka Radvanska. Now let's assume... And again, not a given that Radvanska comes through that one. I'm just going to read a statement from Max Eisenbard, Maria Sharapova's agent, who, whose name came up a few times in the ITF and CAS reports, uh, didn't it, into uh, Maria Sharapova's uh, doping infringement. This is what he had to say. Uh, yeah, all those journeymen players like Radvanska and Wozniacki who have never won a slam and the next generation are passing them they are smart to try and keep Maria out of Paris no Serena no Maria no Vika no Petra it's their last chance to win a slam but they never read the cast report and they never read paragraph 100 and 101 so they have no clue um stay classy Max is my (laughs) my response to that yeah it's it's it's, it's a mind-boggling statement interestingly he he gave that as an email he sent that as an email to our colleague ben rothenberg and i'm i'm trying to work out under what context that was given you know whether ben had asked for comment or so forth or whether he'd just seen things that ben had been tweeting and decided i'm going to respond to this based on what he'd heard from radvanska and wozniacki in their various uh, interviews I mean, he has not done her any favours at all, Maria Sharapova, in my view. He's just shone the light on on the fact that this is happening and, I mean, not that it needs any more shining on it, but, you know, to 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 come out against two players You're of that a, repute. you a former world number one a journeyman. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's not... If that's what a former number one is in tennis terms, I don't know what he is in PR terms. Well, I just, I don't, I, I mean, I can only assume that he's seen red mist of his own and just hammered that out on email before he's really thought about it because what good does that do? Well, you think you'd have had enough experience of, of PR work over the last year or so to, to not email in anger. I mean, 
Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. For me, it's more evidence that she and her team are sort of existing in this weird bubble, which is pretty out of touch with how they're being received in, in the wider world. You see her responding to Sharapova fans, they're like Pova fam or something. Fan Fandoms have names now, don't they? I can't remember what hers is. It's something a bit sickly. They all are, frankly. Um, you know you've made it when you've got a nickname for your fan base. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, they're existing in this um, bubble where they're not in touch with real public opinion. They're just hearing yes men and women and fans on Facebook. And if you're a fan of someone or something, you are sort of, by definition, irrational about them, aren't you? I mean, well, I'm an irrational West Bromwich. <laughs> well, exactly. Fan. I know precisely. That for a fact. Um, so, yeah, that, Maria Sharapova will make her return on Wednesday. We anticipate that that will be a night match. That's the rumblings that I've heard today. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. Before we move on to uh, tennis that's you, been happening you, you, in Monte You Carlo, do know we're getting thrown out of here again. We're not. Yeah, we are. I've already had the wind-up. In fact, he gave me one of those sort of universal signs for a time-out. You know, with the two but hands. we're not the only people left in here because well, my, former na- my former neighbour is sat over there. She's really? giving me really strange looks, yeah. Not surprised. Um, well, OK, hello, former neighbour. And keep going there and then we can carry on talking here. <laughs> Righty-o. Well, um, should we just talk about Serena? Sure. Before Monte Carlo. Serena Williams uh, has revealed that she's pregnant this week. And I think she's about 20, 20 probably 21 weeks uh, by now, fantastic news. Really pleased for her. Again, not much of a debate point. Just Serena Williams is pregnant. Isn't that great? Lovely note, incidentally, that she put on our favourite new platform, Instagram, today. Um, it was just, nice, uh, wasn't it? Sort of a message to her unborn to baby. To her, her unborn it? baby via the yeah. medium of Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, really nice sentiments about about what it means to her. I think, and and, and also affirmation that she fully intends to come back. Now, look. Yeah. Of course that could change. Who knows what will happen to her mindset over the course of the next few months. Her life obviously will undergo many changes, but her intention at the moment fully is to come back to tennis after 2017. David's smiling at me for some reason. I just just think it's a great story. I love the fact that she... I mean, look, whether she will or not, it's a big ordeal, let's be honest. It's a life-changing moment in so many ways. Um, But I've really grown to, to... love following Serena Williams uh, in, in the tennis world and, and I think she's just such an interesting person, personality and, and uh, an admirable one in so many different ways and, and uh, uh, yeah I hope she does come back but you know wish her all the very best anyway I do too, it's like, it was almost like she thought to herself okay I got 23 I'm the sort of undisputed, in terms of the numbers I'm the undisputed greatest of all time, Sue Barker certainly thinks so, she said that uh, to you in reference to Serena what could I do, what feat could I achieve now which would add to that 24 doesn't mean anything, I've already got 23, 25 that doesn't mean much I'm going to have a baby and come back and win Wimbledon. Well, as I, as I said uh, uh, on on Twitter, um, you know, who, who who can rack up the most extraordinary list of titles the most nonchalantly out of her and Roger Federer? Well, yes, because of course she we now know was pregnant when she won the Australian Open yeah. in the very early stages of pregnancy. I think I'm not sure it's confirmed, but I think the suggestions are that she might not have known she was pregnant at the time because it was so early on. But still. Um, I think that adds to the achievement. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the way some people have reported on that, sort of almost as if pregnancy is some kind of disability. You know, isn't it amazing that she actually achieved something physical while 
pregnant almost, which I, I've just been, a, I understand the point that people are making. I just think in some quarters it's been made a little too strongly because she was clearly in great health, great fitness, yeah, feeling, I mean, feeling great. I, th- I think the, the, tr- the fact of the matter is that pregnancy affects different people in different ways. Brooklyn Decker uh, posted, you know, my husband had to lift me on into the bathroom after four weeks when, when I was pregnant. Um, so how she's done this, goodness only knows. But the, the, the fact of the matter is that not everybody experiences the same pregnancy. And what we do know for a fact is that Serena Williams was pregnant and that she won the Australian Open. That's all we fact. know. Yeah. Fact. Um, let's talk about Monte Carlo, shall we, David? Yeah. If we, if we can get it in before this guy throws us out, he's Yeah, no, we, we are getting kicked out. It's happening. Now, can we move over here and carry <laughs> on our conversation? commentate I'll tell you what, our we expulsion will, will from Costa Coffee. We will just have a little break, and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And we're back, and uh, we're still in the Putney Exchange, although, uh, it, as David has described, in the creme de la creme of weird, we're now huddled in a corner sort of outside Costa Coffee um, and also outside do they, t- Tiger. Do they really deserve that name, Jack, after just throwing us out? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. But anyway, we're, sort of, we're as close as we can be to Costa Coffee without actually being inside Costa Coffee. Uh, and it really is the creme de la creme of weird. We look deeply strange. But uh, we can't leave you because we haven't even talked about <laughs> any actual tennis that's happened this week. Monte Carlo happened and Rafael Nadal won the first of the three La Decima titles that he is going for. I mean, what a record that is. Imagine winning three tenth titles at different tournaments in a year. Uh, I, I mean, I can't... He hasn't done I, it yet, it, but... Well, well, okay then, seeing as you've led me there, is he going to? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I think he is as well. I mean, look, That's he, he might not, he might not to, of course, but uh, I'd say he's the favourite to do it. I, I, I mean, I asked the question in a poll vault last night. I haven't got the results in front of me, but the there was certainly... I think there were only about 9% of, of respondents thinking that he would only end up with one of the three. Um, about 40% thought he would... Uh, do it at the, uh, at the in Barcelona and win that, but not the French. But there's a there's a there's more than half the, the people think he'll win all three. Well, let's talk about Barcelona first because that's where he's playing this week. The other notable names in the draw are Dominic Team, of course, he's in every draw. Uh, David Goffin, 
be David fun. Goffin, who who, uh, who there was there was the dodgiest of all dodgy um, uh, mark inspections, wasn't there? During well, wrong his mark inspections. Yeah. yeah, Paul Cedric Murray uh, was given a tough time by the crowd by David Goffin, refused to shake his hand. He cocked up, didn't he? Bottom line, it happens. He's human. He's basically yeah. a great umpire, but that was a cock up. And, and that's the thing. I, I think that we sometimes need to just remember these are human beings. Everybody's trying their best in in that profession. And Cedric Morier, yeah, I mean, I think he's a good guy and, and he's an experienced umpire, and he got it wrong. Argument for Hawkeye on clay. Yeah, it's an argument for Hawkeye on clay. There's no question. I mean, this it's kind. Of, it is kind of well. Why wouldn't you do it? really I think ultimately. because they already have it in place it's available to broadcasters yeah. it's yeah. there it's just not available um, to the players and to the umpire quick question just while we're still on David Goffin I feel for him the crowd felt for him I really I'm, I don't want to lay into him for that semi-final because my heart went out to him but were you a little disappointed David as understandable as it was with how much he fell away after the disappointment of that call and how he was unable to turn it around to any extent at all. I mean, it really was game over from that moment, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, maybe a little, but I think you you have to cut him the slack of not having been in that situation many times, that sort of setting against one of the all-time greats in such an important match. He'd beaten Djokovic, let's not forget, David Goffin for the first time in his career that week. He was brilliant against Djokovic, who wasn't bad in the latter stages of that and was ahead and Goffin reeled him in. Um, yes, I, I, I th- look, if, if Goffin doesn't learn from it and become better next time, then I think you really can point the finger. I think that some you have to cut him a bit of slack and... People have uh, a bit of leeway to get it wrong and to, and to or, or to fall away or to to melt down or whatever it might be, but they can't keep doing it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You've mentioned Novak Djokovic. We talked about him last week, recorded Tuesday last week, which is the day he had just fought through against Gilles Simon in his opening round match in Monte Carlo. What do you make of the week as a whole, as a whole for him? Some good... I just, I just can't get my head around Novak Djokovic just yet because he, he was fighting tooth and nail in those matches and winning through three setters one after another um, and he eventually came up short against David Goffin but Novak Djokovic is a man who used to just clinically defeat players in the early rounds for a loss of a handful of games before getting to the latter stages and either having a, a big battle in a final or playing statement tennis as he was playing a year ago and destroying Nadal and destroying Murray and things like that um, that has stopped happening, he is now having to fight tooth and nail the way that Murray often has done over the course of his career And other comparisons with Murray he seems to be fighting himself mentally as well, which we know Andy Murray is partial to doing at times, I mean I draw attention particularly to his match his uh, third round match in Monte Carlo against Pablo Carreño Busta which was played in the evening on the day that Murray had gone out Vavrinka had got out Nadal had swept aside Sasha Zverev he was last on and he was so his behaviour was so bizarre during that match he ran off court after I think four or five games for a comfort break looking not happy at all with the world now that may have been Let's let's not analyse in too much detail what may have been going on there. Uh, but he was so frustrated and, and kicking himself throughout 
the match. He was so hard on himself for everything, even when things were going his way. And he became so fixated on how the light was casting across the court. It was horrible, though. It it was, but it was the same for both players. And it's the same. They haven't changed anything structurally (laughs) about the uh, centre court in Monte Carlo. It was the same as he's dealt with countless times before. And I can understand him... It was of, Murray-like, you're right. It, that, yeah, that, it was. Yeah. It was completely... It was like he'd found this one thing and he was going to focus all of his frustration on it. And It was irritating, but it was something that Novak Djokovic of a year ago would barely have noticed such would have been his focus. But he was maddened by it. He was absolutely maddened. He did win through that match. It was the subsequent match to Goffin that he lost. But... It was just such an enormous contrast to the Novak Djokovic we used to see. I asked on social media, at Tennis Podcast, what, what, is, what is wrong with him? What will it take for him to get back to where he was? Because I can't, re- I can't work it out. There's not something obvious. I keep looking at his game and I'm thinking, where is the difference? I, he looks okay physically. He looks, he looks up for it most of the time. But I, well, I think that's it. It's the most of the time. Um, his biggest weapon was the 100% laser-like focused all of the time. But, you know, what one of our um, listeners, Nicole Eclectic, who, who is a Djokovic fan, but she is, I think, very reasoned and realistic in, in the things she writes on social media about him. And she said, it is not a click of the fingers. It is not a magic potion to get back to where he was and to read it's 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 incremental it's got to be bit by bit it's building blocks and I think that's probably right you know I think you know he's going to have he is not a talent of the ilk of Federer he may he may achieve the same amount as him eventually in terms of titles won um, and in terms of overall greatness and and and, um, and an overall piece of work you know over the course of his career we may look at him and say yes this is this guy is one of if not the greatest player of all time in five years time we may look at Djokovic and say that but he will never have the ability I don't think he could come off a six-month layoff and win the Australian Open straight off the bat he isn't that kind of player um, who is, frankly? I don't think that Nadal could do that. I don't think that Murray could do that. I don't think anybody in history could probably do that. Maybe Rod Laver. But it, it would take somebody of a skill level of that. Maybe Agassi at his very best, that laser-like ability. But that that's where they differ. the difference comes for me. And, and I think that Djokovic, I think she's right, he has to layer upon layer build this back up again does the same apply to Andy Murray lost for him in his second match against Albert Ramos Vinolas looks slightly less um, disappointing in light of the fact that Ramos Vinolas obviously went on to reach the final but nonetheless it was a great contrast for me I was commentating for tennis radio on that day and the match that Djokovic won through in challenging circumstances uh, against Pablo Carreño Busta was very similar to the match that Andy Murray had lost earlier in the day to Ramos Vinolas, except the difference was Djokovic found a way and Murray didn't. Now, of course, Djokovic ended up not finding a way in the subsequent match, so the comparisons ended on that day. But, yeah, what's going on for Andy Murray? Is it a question of building blocks? Yeah, I, I think it is, but I think it's... It's less complicated to me in as much as he has had 
uh, quite a spell out of the game with injury and he hasn't had a year's worth best part of not really being able to find his game. He, okay, he hasn't done that well this year so far and he had a very disappointing Australian Open and he's had disappointing tournaments in, in Indian Wells but whereas Djokovic f- for quite a number of months has, it just hasn't felt like him since, since French Open last year. That can't be said of Andy Murray. It's really only a couple of months and then injuries struck. If we're still in the same position in the summer where Andy Murray is, let's say he were to come up short on the grass, then I think it would be a similar question mark. What's going on? But, you know, at this stage, I would think he's not overly disappointed with his performance in Monte Carlo. He was four love up. He lost from that position. I think he kind of ran out of gas little notable mention for Albert Ramos Vinolas who got to the final and played fantastically well best week of his career um, but Andy Murray match sharp wins that match yeah I mean of course without question um, that's pretty much it <laughs> I can't believe we've managed to rattle through it all apart from two last minute additions to the agenda at the very last we thought we were going to have a Dan Evans free week, but somehow... There's no such thing. <laughs> Dan Evans snuck into our agenda at the last because, David, he has won his very first tour-level match on clay today in Barcelona against Thiago Montero, 6-7, 6-2, And he was 4-love Dan what and the a decider. Guy. What uh, a guy. Yeah, what a guy indeed. And uh, throughout the week, if you want to have a quick look at Tennis Podcast, I uh, uh, don't quite know how we got onto it, but, um, yeah, we were talking about um, whether I should write uh, Dan Evans' biography. I think it was coming off the back of uh, Well, we talked about it last book, week. My it? brother sent me a text saying, I really want to read David Law's biography of Dan Evans. <laughs> So anyway, and a hashtag was born. Yeah, a hashtag was born, the Dan Evans story, and uh, and it was inspired by indeed uh, Catherine's brother Matthew, who uh, who came up with some fantastic. Uh, I don't think you got any work done. That oh, day. the most wonderful <laughs> prospective book titles. Uh, I, I think you adjusted one of them to some work, no clay. Yeah, Math suggested the Dan Evans story. all work and no clay, which I yeah. thought was great, and then I leached off that and came up with some work and yeah, no clay. There were some absolute crackers in there, so do go and have a look at it we're going to um, ask Dan to pick the winner aren't yeah, we yeah we'll get Dan Evans to pick his favourite uh, of all those uh, little so contributions get your submissions copyrighted yeah I will <laughs> well, you can I will obviously Dan try to I'll try to sneak in a pole vault about it see if you can make your pick as well Catherine oh, oh, that's not going down very well so we won't be doing that um, and what's the other thing we've got to talk about well I mean it's just a minor minor mention for the fact that Juan Carlos Ferrero <laughs> 2003 French Open champion that's 14 years ago he's entered the doubles main draw in Barcelona I mean when he was playing I did not have grey hair he's playing with Pablo Carreño Busta they've drawn uh, Mikovsky Nesta in the first round what is he doing I don't know no one's had a chance to speak to him yet I'm waiting for the quotes maybe he's just had a free week I don't know crikey who's coming back next (laughs) It's time for another Thomas Mister comeback, isn't no, it? I should think That's so. That's what he's yeah, thinking. We've had at least 10 years without one of those. <laughs> yeah. Right then, well, I'm pleased we've been able to end this uh, rather dramatic, uh, ponderous tennis podcast on a light note. It's been uh, heavy going this week, but I'm glad we've been able to tackle all the very, very important, if frankly uncomfortable topics. David, thank you for your company. Thanks for speaking to Sue Barker and Simon Briggs. It's been a delight. <laughs> Yeah, you get to speak to Sue Barker and I get to speak to you. How's that worked out? Anyway, we've been the Tennis Steady. Podcast. 
We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you from a variety of locations inside the Putney Exchange Shopping Centre. We've been brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We've had some fantastic coverage uh, from Romania over the weekend and we'll continue to have fantastic coverage of what promises to be another dramatic week in Stuttgart this week and, of course, also with... When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Eurosport and we will be back next week. 